Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. Today's episode is part of a special summer series discussing the stories of women found in Scripture. This week's conversation is hosted by Dr. Lynn Coick and Serene Musselman. Join us as we debunk common myths, explore important themes, and discuss the relevance of these women's stories for our faith today. Hello again, Alabaster Jar listeners. This is Serene Musselman. I'm joined again today by our host, Dr. Lynn Coick, and you have found us at the very end of our special summer series where we have been looking at women from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you are just catching us, I encourage you to go back and check out the previous seven episodes where we have had great conversations about women throughout scripture. Uh, Lynn and I have also been joined by Dr. Carmen Imes, and we have have been busting myths, discussing themes, and looking at how the stories of these women have practical applications for our lives and our discipleship and our faith today. And so as we come to the end of this journey, today we have a slightly different text to look at. Rather than the story of a specific named woman, we are talking about the women described in a passage of scripture. So Lynn, would you introduce us to the text we're talking about today? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think this is, um, this woman or this, uh, this group of women casts a shadow perhaps over the whole of the New Testament, an interpretive shadow. I'm talking about the one Tim two passage. I felt we really couldn't leave this discussion without talking about, should I say, the elephant in the room? <laughs> Yes. Or often the lens through which all other women named and unnamed in, in the New Testament are evaluated. So, so I thought, all right, let's take a look at 1 Timothy 2 and the passage that, I mean, I'm kind of joking, but I also know it is, it has been interpreted in certain ways that have caused great heartache, uh, in, in my own life and in many women um, who have used this, who, who have heard the scripture, not as something that builds them up in the Lord, but something that tears them down. So I want to offer another way of looking at it um, that I hope will uh, dispel the shadow and bring light to yes. push, really push a metaphor. <laughs> there we far. go. <laughs> Love it. Well, yes, listeners, buckle up. I'm really looking forward to <laughs> this conversation. And yeah, Lynn and I's hope is that by the end of today, there is a, a light as you hear us discuss this passage. So um, I have a feeling there's a couple of myths. Yeah. I, yeah so let's jump into that. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yeah, some myths. Well, I think one of the myths that that happens is... Um, that this passage is seen as transcultural, like above culture. And I just want to say that that's both, that statement is both a yes and a no, in as much as this is Paul's letter to a church. And in that sense, it's really important that we understand the immediate context because it's a letter. And so, He's going to, Paul is going to assume 
that his immediate audience understands certain things, right? It's uh, communication that has a lot of tacit expectations, implicit expectations. So in that sense, we're going to really pay attention to the history of the historical context. Then on the other hand, it is also God's word for God's people down through the ages. So in that sense, it speaks to every culture. But it is not transcultural in the sense that there is no culture as part of it, right? That it is somehow like a uh, commandment, thou shalt not murder, as though it just sort of steps out of any uh, particular set of circumstances. So I think that's one myth that we need to to address, that somehow this speaks for all time about all women everywhere, right? That's just not the, the way you would understand something in an epistle. Nevertheless, it is God's word for us today, and so it's important that we understand it as best we can. I think a, another myth that happens in this is people read this passage and they forget that Paul actually had female co-workers. So they forget that Priscilla in Acts chapter 18 taught Apollos. In chapter 18, verse 26, I think it is, Priscilla and her husband Aquila taught Apollos. He's a believer. He's a co-worker of Paul also. And Luke doesn't, I mean, Luke just kind of states the fact that uh, Priscilla knew a lot about certain aspects of the gospel. Apollos needed some topping up, <laughs> so to speak. And, and so she taught him. We have Junia, who is a, a leader in the church. I, I think uh, she was an apostle. Uh, but even if you're going to debate that title, she clearly was a leader in the church, so much so that she earned the reward of being arrested, just like Paul. <laughs> so she, she clearly was out evangelizing and was seen as an important leader in the church, enough so that, that she had to be pulled from circulation, so to speak. We have Phoebe. Uh, who Paul entrusts the letter to the Romans, that it be delivered to the Romans. And as was the custom of the day, she would have read that letter to the Roman churches and exegeted it, interpreted it for them. So we have Phoebe teaching Romans, um, explaining Romans. She's also a deacon. So, you know, when we read 1 Timothy 2, we have to remember that Paul had female co-workers who were teaching, leading, evangelizing, um, doing good works and helps like with almsgiving and just all, I'm just, so that's another piece of the puzzle that we have to keep in mind. So those would be two myths, I think, as we, uh, that we need to bust as we look into the passage. Yeah. And I think just in my personal experience, what you're describing are common ways that I've heard this passage spoken about. So it's it's good for us to identify those things as we get started. So when we do turn to read this passage, then uh, maybe give us some guidance on how we can do a, a more thoughtful reading of this passage. What are some themes that we should be paying attention to? Well, first, start at the beginning. So look at 
chapter one. And in chapter one, verse three, we find certain people are teaching falsehoods. And that is a theme throughout. So the next verse, uh, chapter one, verse four, they're teaching myths and genealogies. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but that's mentioned here and in chapter one and also in chapter four. In fact, Paul goes on to say in chapter one, verse seven, that there are these people, men, uh, certainly there are men in this group who want to be teachers of the law. They're fashioning themselves as knowing a lot and wanting to teach a lot. And Paul says, Timothy, they've got to stop because they are teaching falsehoods. Um, we, so that's, that's something to keep in mind. This is a church right now that is wrestling with inaccurate doctrine, um, inaccurate understanding of who God is and the, um, and his redemptive plan. So the, so right out of the gate, we, we know that. Secondly, starting at the beginning of chapter two, we find that Paul really wants to emphasize um, pious living, holy living, um, being, um, yeah, our, our process of sanctification, right? What does it look like to be holy? Okay. Well, if you were uh, a Gentile pagan raised in Ephesus, you would have seen lots of festivals honoring the um, Artemis of the Ephesians, the goddess uh, there that had a huge temple, much larger than the uh, Parth- the um, Parthenon in Athens, um, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, and the way that you worshipped Artemis at times included uh, ex- uh, exuberant expressions of wealth, displays of wealth. Uh, for women, that could include fancy dress fancy hairstyles, including a particular way of styling your hair that included braids, that included putting gold, um, uh, let's say like netting and that kind of thing. Um, and so th- this is what you would have seen as holiness, as, well, maybe not holy, but piety, right? Let me say it that way, piety. So now you're you're in the church and you want to be holy. You want to do what God asks. Well, what does that look like? So Paul in chapter two begins to talk about that. And so he says men should pray without angry outbursts, right? They shouldn't, they shouldn't use the prayer time to get to score points over each other. <laughs> um, and women should dress modestly. This is part of how one behaves in, in the, in, in the church community as opposed to in religious settings, um, broadly speaking in this, um, Gentile pagan, um, city. So that's the context that we want to, to remember. So when Paul then says, um, in chapter two, verse, um, 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission, Paul is using the, command form, um, a woman should learn. And the English, a woman should learn, kind of has that force. Sometimes it's let a woman learn, which I think we could maybe hear in the, in the English translation there. Hey, Timothy, if you have some extra time, let the women learn, you know, kind of optional. But really, this is, Paul is really focused on 
a woman learning. A woman should learn. Now, how do how does one learn in the ancient world? Well, they learn in quietness and submission. That's how everybody learns. And I don't have time to get into it, but the listeners hopefully just take my word for it. When you when learning is described, not just in the New Testament, but elsewhere at this time, it's done quietly in full submission. So it's not like men can learn in rowdiness and aggressiveness, but women in quietness. Mm. <laughs> it's not, it's, it, you know, it's not peculiar to women. It's peculiar to learning. And, uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority. So the I do not permit is in, um, a, a indicative form, like just a, present active form, like I am not permitting. So the way you might uh, understand this, or we'd use this word today, this verb would be something like this. My, um, my child comes to me and says, mom, can I have a cookie? I might answer, I'm not permitting you to have a cookie right now because it's 4 p.m. and we're getting ready for dinner. And if you have a cookie, you'll spoil your appetite. But if my child comes to me and says, Mom, can I have a cookie? I might answer, sure, you can have a cookie because it's 8 p.m. at night. We're getting ready for bed. They had a good dinner. Then they were playing for a little bit. So they're probably a little hungry. Sure, you can have a cookie before you go to bed. In other words, the permit is very much tied to the circumstances, what's going on at that moment, am I going to permit or not permit? And so Paul, and, and this is what we would call the semantic range of the verb. That is, what is this verb? What what are the possibilities with this verb? And the what I'm saying is that the, the verb always includes the particular context in order for its... Um, meaning to be uh, clear in, in a full way. So I am not permitting um, right now, we could almost say, a woman to teach. Now, the word, the, the way that infinitive to teach is, you could put a period right after it in terms of grammar. If Paul is following grammar rules, you could put a period right there. So I'm not permitting a woman to teach. And I actually think that really could be what Paul is saying here. Because... I think these women are not teaching correct doctrine in the same way that back in chapter one, the men were doing false teachings. Then the verse goes on to say that uh, I do not permit a woman to have authority over, assume authority over a man. And the word man does go with authority. Um, it doesn't, in a strict grammatical sense, it does not go with to teach. Now, I don't want to get it that there is an exception Okay, you know, for those people who love Greek, you can dive into certain exceptions. But in general, the authority goes with man. But this word authority doesn't occur anyone, this verb doesn't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. And it doesn't, um, occur, well, occurs very, very rarely in the first century texts outside of the New Testament. So it's hard for us to know the exact nuance of it. But what we can say is it's a really negative use of authority. It's abusive. It's not the usual word for authority that we find elsewhere in the New Testament. So it's not as though Paul would ever write that men can have 
this sort of authority, the infinitive is authentine, that somehow they could have, that men could have that kind of authority over women, but women couldn't have that kind of authority over men. It's like no human should have that kind of authority over another human. And so something is going on here where women are teaching badly and they're teaching in such a way that is very destructive for um for the for the church as a whole and in some way they're they're manifesting a, a real negative um posture over over men so what might that be well um in verses 13 and 14 Adam and Eve are brought up and often it's it's said that because Paul mentions Adam and Eve that somehow he's speaking uh, like outside of, um, time here, that this is, you know, for all time, all women are always gullible, right? Easy to, dis- to be deceived. But what if Paul is bringing this up because in fact, these women are teaching that Eve was right and Adam was wrong? So we know, and the readers are going to have to, like you said, buckle up. I hope they are buckled up. We're getting kind of deep in here in uh, in this summer podcast. But one of the things we know that happens within a couple of generations, 40 years or so from when Paul lived, was we have this rise of a heresy called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism taught that the creation was bad, that material things are bad, that the only real and good is spiritual. So the creator God, Jehovah of the Old Testament, is actually not the supreme God because he messed up and he created material things. So when Eve, in this story, when Eve uh, takes the fruit from the tree of knowledge, her eyes are open to the fact that material things are bad and spiritual is good. And so Gnosticism celebrated, if you will, Eve and, and the recognition by humans that the material is bad and thus the God who created matter is bad. Um, the other thing that Gnosticism does is it imagines levels between the material world, our earth, and the most supreme heaven. And there are kind of levels, about, I don't know, 12 or so levels that, that someone can ascend up through, their soul can, can ascend. And I wonder if that kind of idea was also something that Paul is uh, referencing, alluding to in chapter one, when he talks about these endless genealogies, because one of the things Gnosticism does is explore, uh, the, the, uh, divine beings and the level of divine beings and the various angelologies that were developing. And so anyway, it may be that here in Ephesus, you've got the beginnings of what will later, uh, fully flower as Gnosticism um, in the early part of the second century. So if that's the case, um, and also we have uh, Artemis, uh, who with 
what we know of her beginnings and the myths that are around her. She's a powerful figure, powerful goddess. It may be that that kind of syncretism of reading Genesis wrong through a proto-Gnostic lens and the kinds of stuff that was just assumed from the Artemis worship kind of pulled together such that these women in Ephesus who were not trained, most of them are going to be Gentile converts to uh, Christianity, that, you know, I don't know any better. And so just like the men in chapter one are going to need to uh, teach the correct thing or not talk at all, so too in chapter two, women, women who are teaching the wrong things need to stop. They need to stop teaching. I'm not permitting them to teach. But what I am insisting on, Timothy, Paul says, is that they learn. And education for adult women in the ancient world typically happened only in the homes of wealthy uh, families where, because these women are older, you know, older teens or, and, and not maybe married, the father would oversee this. And when you, um, the, the philosophers, there are a few women who were philosophers, uh, at this time that we know of. I think almost without exception, either their husband or their father trained them. So it was very much training happening in the house if you were Gentile. But of course, in the synagogue, women and men sat together and heard the word of God every Sunday, every Sabbath, right? So they had, the women had training, but Gentile women didn't have a structure in place that would have been easy for Timothy to say, okay, women, just go to, you know, ladies Bible study at 10 a.m. on Tuesday mornings and we'll, we'll catch you up on this stuff. There's, there wasn't a structure other than the, the synagogue for that. So anyway, so that's, I think, why Paul is insisting that they, uh, be taught and learn and saying until they do, they, uh, they should not be teaching others. And it's the same thing that he would, that he would say to men that he did in, but just in different ways, in different, words in uh in chapter one wow there's a lot here <laughs> and i think we really just scratched the surface i think what's interesting about this passage and you started off this episode alluding to this is how many implications there are for this passage um maybe being taken out of context and we've seen that play out in the very real lives of women and churches over time and and but through taking some extra time here to dive into a bit more of the context of what was happening um, surrounding this letter that was written, I think we get a, a fuller picture. So as we wrap up today, um, clearly this passage has already had implications for many women's lives. What do you see um, through sort of reframing the passage in the context that you've provided today? What are some helpful practical implications that we can take away from this passage. Yeah. Well, I think um, we we skip over verse 11, a woman should learn, or we focus on the, the styling, quiet and full submission, as though that's specific to women. We just don't focus on the fact that Paul commands Timothy that women should learn. I'm commanding you to teach women. So I think in our churches, are we encouraging women 
from junior high on up to really study the Bible in the same way we expect men to study the Bible. Are our men's Bible studies and our women's Bible studies equally rigorous in terms of looking at the scripture? It doesn't, you know, at, I have my own views on women's um, leadership possibilities within a church, but we're not even talking about that, right? We're just talking about, are you equipping women in the same way that you're equipping men to understand and know the Bible? And I think, Serene, I think we don't. In a lot of churches, women's Bible studies are fluffier. You know, they're not, they're not rigorous. And, and unfortunately, women let each other off the hook, you know, and I think, no, 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 no. Instead, we want to stand together and encourage each other. Now, granted, I do teach at a seminary, <laughs> so I'm all about <laughs> teaching, but this, uh, you know, you don't have to have a degree, but, but what you're hearing in this passage is God's heart for you, which is, I want you to learn. I want you to know me. I, I want you to dig in. Um, and, you know, however that then is exercised in whatever ministry God has for you. Okay. I mean, but, but the call is there, uh, to be deep in the word, um, and knowledgeable. So good. You know, if you're listening to this podcast today and you are thinking, Hey, that's me. Uh, I am the person that Lynn's describing that wants to, um, challenge myself to study a little more closely the words of God, um, just encourage you to do that. Figure out what that next step for you looks like. Maybe it's in your own church context. Maybe there is a small group that is studying the Bible in a more rigorous way that you can connect with. Of course, we've talked about resources here on the podcast before as well. This whole series, we've been following along with Lynn's course on Seminary Now. And Seminary Now is a great place where you could start to uh, get uh, some introduction into what it looks like to study the Bible in this way. And maybe you're ready to go even beyond that. And you are considering um, pursuing a seminary degree. Of course, we have so many different opportunities for that at Northern. Specifically today, I'm thinking of one of our newer programs, the Masters of Arts uh, for Women in Theology, uh, where you could receive a, a seminary education um, and experience these sorts of conversations around the table with professors like Lynn and other students who are digging deeper. Uh, so our challenge for you today is figure out what that next step is. It's been uh, awesome to be on this eight-week journey with you, Lynn, this summer as we have been having these conversations. And we are really looking forward to the fall. We have some some really exciting and fun uh, interviews and conversations with guests that will be joining us here on the podcast. Lots of new books to share with you. It's going to be a great season. Um, but Lynn, thank you for uh, the this episode today and for the past several weeks. Yeah, thanks, Serene. Well, it's always delightful. And uh, I hope everyone's having a nice summer um, here in Chicago. I really value summer uh, with the warm weather, but I know some people, they're they're feeling the heat. Well, wherever you are, I hope you're comfortable and uh, in the word. So, yes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, happy summer. And we will be right back here next week with another brand new episode of the Alabaster Jar. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you, Serene. You've been listening to another episode of the Alabaster Jar. 
If you enjoyed this week's conversation, please subscribe, share, and plan to join us again next week as we continue this special summer series. To explore further the topics and stories discussed in this week's episode, check out Lynn's Seminary Now course on Women in the New Testament and Carmen's Seminary Now course on Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters. We've included links to both of those courses in today's episode description. 